This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Uh, I'm happy to join you. I'm alongside Omar Mubayad and Lee Fans. How you doing, gentlemen? It's been that long, you can't even get Omar's name right. Oh, man, I'm cringing <laughs> over here. I'm just I don't awful. even know who you are anymore. Uh, oh, boy, you look like shit, sir. <laughs> You're rude. You're very rude. I am uh, in solidarity with social distancing. Uh, my representation is uh, not cutting my hair or uh, trimming my beard. I'm have your uh, wife give you a haircut. What are you waiting for? Oh, she's threatening, but I'm. Uh, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm sticking with it. I'm seeing where this good thing goes. Uh, who the hell am I going to cut my hair for? You know, like who's going to see it besides you guys? <laughs> and screw you. You get to look at it. Uh, so anyway, uh, best intro to a podcast ever. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it took, a, it took a virus to do it, but that's fine. yeah. So uh, we are here for part two of the Straight Out of South Florida series. Uh, if you have not listened to part one, uh, three really good interviews um, uh, conducted by Omar and Lee. Please do check it out uh, on uh, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts. I mean, if you're already listening to this, you know the deal. Uh, but but go back and check out episode one before you go into episode two. Uh, and, and Lee, we're, we're diving into the second episode. Uh, again, I think a really good diversity of voices, some interesting stories to dive into. Uh, and, and let's start with the first one, kind of set it up a bit. Uh, you had a chance to talk to Alejandro Milian. Yeah, this was a really interesting one to turn up, guys. Um, you know, I went on Google, transfer market, all that sort of stuff. And it threw up Alejandro Milian. Fantastic uh, Fantastic career playing in Bolivia, full Bolivian international, and also just a very nice guy. And he, he gave me a very long chat, which I found with some of these players is that in lockdown, they haven't got a lot to do. So he was very generous with his time. Um, let's not spoil it. Let's see what he's got to say for himself. with Alejandro Melian, um, who was born in Miami and then went overseas to play in Bolivia. Can't wait to ask him some questions here. Ale, how are you doing today? Doing great. Just here in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Uh, we've been in quarantine for over 50 days now. And yeah, just waiting for eventually for things to get back to normal. <laughs> so you've, you've been in quarantine. You haven't been able to train or anything like that? Uh, yeah, well, with our limitations, I've been doing everything possible, which is uh, training here in my living room. I go down to the condominium's uh, underground garage. I have 100 meters in one direction and 100 in the other. Uh, I do the stairs. There are eight floors in my, in my apartment building. And yeah, so we do whatever we can. We get uh, training routines from my club team and from the Bolivian national team. So let me take you back to Miami. Then. Yes. Um, you were born there, right? You were born in Miami. 
born in Miami. Both of my parents are from Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Uh, but they had both, uh, my mom went uh, as a foreign exchange student to Ohio first, and then she studied at FIU. And my dad did the same thing. He studied at, at FIU. Then they got married in Bolivia, and they went to, back to Miami to live. And that's where me and my two younger brothers were born. So did the, did the interest in soccer come from your mum and your dad then? Is that where it really came from? Yeah, yeah. especially my mom was uh, probably our biggest fan. Uh, my dad was my coach in my club team for my entire childhood. Then I played in high school and then I went to College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. Do you remember what that team was called that your dad was coaching? Oh, yeah. Do you think, do you think they're still going? I have it tattooed on my leg. Um, <laughs> it <laughs> was West Kendall, which later became Kendall Soccer Coalition. And I'm not really sure if that has changed again since the past few years, but we did really well. Uh, we had a lot of players uh, who went off to college and some at the pro level and some rivals have done really well too. We have like a big rivalry in South Florida at that time with Weston and a few other teams. So you were down in that part of town, down in Kendall, because that's, that's a real hotbed down there now. We have like a soccer park down there, some soccer fields. So how did the move over to Bolivia happen? Obviously you had links to with your family back there, but how did that come about? It was after my sophomore year in college, during the summer, I had gone to Bolivia to train with a team, not, not really a tryout or anything, but my dad knew the vice president at the time. So they were like, oh yeah, you can train here for, during your vacations. And it was, it was great because I got to meet some of the, the players that I looked up to. I mean, I was still, at that time, I was like 19 years old and trained there for a few weeks and then came back. But then after I graduated senior year, uh, I was training in Miami FC for a couple of months. And I actually had an option to stay there, but there was another option to actually try out for that team that I had practiced with, which was Blooming. I decided to go and, and test my luck. Unfortunately, I had gotten there August 20th, and the date to close signings was August 15th. So by five days, I, I missed my opportunity. And the way they handle things in, in Bolivia, especially if you're an unknown, they're not going to sign you if they, if they can't clear you to play. So uh, we ended up uh, taking a, a different route and I ended up playing for, for a small team in La Paz. Uh, just, and I was able to sign for one year and that was enough to, to really show myself. Did you get that problem? Because I know Bolivia with the altitude, sometimes that's a problem going from Miami up to Bolivia. Was it, was, yeah. Did you feel that? Oh yeah, you definitely feel it. And I'd say Bolivia is probably the most difficult country in the world in terms of of playing because there are some cities that are 2,000 meters above sea level, others that are 3,400, like, like La Paz. And then you have an, an even higher level, which is Oruro and Potosí, which uh, are 4,000 meters and up. So you definitely feel the lack of oxygen. Uh, the ball travels differently. Uh, the ball doesn't curve as much as it, it usually does, and it goes at a much higher speed. So. There's so many adjustments, not, not just in oxygen level, but in the way the ball travels. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because I was living in Europe and I was playing good amateur soccer. I moved to Canada, to Calgary in the Canadian Rockies, which is very high up as well. Started running in a straight line and then after 40 yards, I was like, what's happening? It's like it takes everything out of you, doesn't it? It's so strange. It feels like you're out of shape, but <laughs> really not the case. So um, you moved on then. To, and for, for a gringo, this is a fantastic name for a team. Oriente Petrolero. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that one trips off the tongue so nice to me. And you were there for a long time. I mean, yeah. uh, describe your time with that club. Right before I signed for Oriente, they were champions. So when I, when I got there, 
they went directly to Copa Libertadores, uh, which for the gringos is equivalent to um, <laughs> the Champions League in Europe, you know. So because of one reason or another, I was able to get playing time right from the start uh, as a center back. Then I played a couple of games at left back during the Copa Libertadores. And then there was one game against Bolivar, one of the best teams in Bolivia. And we had a home game and they decided to play me at center midfield. And we won that game six to zero. So that was probably one of the biggest games in my career, especially at the beginning, which allowed me to establish myself as an important player for a huge club because Oriente Petrolero, in comparison to La Paz, has a fan base that's, that's in the millions. The stadium has a capacity of 35 to 40,000 people. And so it was a huge change. And it was actually the first time you actually feel that you're at the professional level with you know, a, a fan base and a whole city behind you. So uh, Oriente was like the first real crazy experience for me where, where I actually felt like this was a, a professional soccer club because uh, La Paz, unfortunately, it doesn't even exist anymore because of the problems it had. Oh, no. And Oriente was probably one of the best environments I've ever played with. You, you mentioned there that you ended up playing in a centre of midfield. There's a lot of different sort of roles and positions. Are you more sort of a defensive midfielder or more attacking? How is, how is your game in the centre of midfield? I've actually established myself as, here they call it, polifuncional. Uh, multifunctional uh, because okay. I played different positions. I probably played every single position except centered forward and goalie. <laughs> and in Oriente, especially with the big fan base, you know, I'd gotten really well known to be able to play that. And I ended up playing in the national team in different positions as well. For the past two years, I've been playing uh, right defender, which is something I never expected myself to play. So I'm, I'm actually very good at like positioning myself in the field. You know, the only thing is that. Once I change positions, you know, it takes me like a little while to adapt to different movements, you know, because at the center mid, you know, it's constant movements forward to the side and back. You have to be constantly moving. When you're playing at right defender, uh, sometimes when the play is on the other side, you know, you get more time to rest. But when the ball's on your side, you have to go up and down the field, up and down the field, uh, defending. It's a, a, a higher intensity, you know, in the 90 minutes. So you mentioned they're playing for the national team. And of course, 16 caps, if my research here is correct, for the national team. When you yeah. was a kid in Miami, is that something you dreamed about, pulling on the Bolivian jersey and playing for the national team? Yeah, I, I was actually, as a kid, more of a fan of the Bolivian national team than the U.S. national team. My idols as a kid were Marco Echeverri and Jaime Moreno, both of whom played for... Both DC. great players as well. Yeah. So every time they would come and play against Miami Fusion, I would always be there. Every time after the games, you know, we'd wait for them to get out of the locker rooms and then we'd stay there chatting for like 10 minutes. And then eventually, at one point when Ascar Gorta was the, the national team coach, he took Echeverri uh, for a couple of games to be his assistant. And I talked to him a lot during those two games, and I actually asked him for a jersey. I didn't even know if he had one. He said, yeah. And he gave me a DC United jersey with the number 10 uh, Echeverri in the back. And uh, I actually have a picture on my, on my Instagram. Uh, I'll find it later for you guys. <laughs> That's great. So when you're playing for Bolivia, is, is that passion different from the club? I mean, are they just as passionate about the national team as they are about their clubs? Oh, yeah. When we do have a eliminatorias game, you know, a qualifying game for the World Cup, and we leave the hotel, you can sense the environment, you know, that it's the whole country that's behind you. And they let you feel it, you know, because in Bolivia, it's, it's, they're very, very passionate about soccer. And, and everybody's always online. Uh, uh, giving their opinions, you know. It's a typical South American environment, you know, a lot of intensity.
let me bring it back round then to Miami. And you tell me, do you think it was a disadvantage in a way growing up in Miami? Or do you think that the standard of youth football and the coaching here meant that you still got that good start to go into a professional career? The thing about our style of play uh, in our team in Miami, it was a team very different than the rest of the country. It was a team full of Latino players, players from Colombia, Uruguay, Argentina. I was one of the few Bolivians. And we used to make fun of like the, the US, the typical style that they would play, like long balls and running down the field. Just we call it anti football, you know? Just uh, depend on your speed and, and not your talent. And we were more like the Barcelona style is today, you know, the tiki-taka. And we would always say, yeah, just get close, uh, giving goals, you know, you know, and around players. And, and that was our style of playing. So we had a, a very different style. And, and my dad was, was the one who, who made sure we played that way, the way he would organize all the practices. And, and that was very noticeable in, in the tournament, especially when we went to, to national tournaments like Super Clubs, uh, Dallas Cup. And I feel like we, I had a different formation as a young player, but at the same time, we were very different from the rest of the United States. When you were playing, did you ever play against um, any big names? You know, either for Bolivia or in the Libertadores or anything like that. Did you ever come up against any top players? I played against Messi, Neymar, Luis Suarez. Uh, How good are those players up close, Alejandro? How good are they up close when you're on the field with them? The best player that I, I think I've gone up against is Ronaldinho. Oh, you played against Ronaldinho? That, that's, that's pretty amazing. Okay, tell me about playing against Ronaldinho. When we played against him, he wasn't even in his prime. Uh, I think he was playing in in Atletico Mineiro at the time. Mm -hmm. We lost that game 4-0 at home because Ronaldinho, he gave uh, two assists to Neymar uh, and two more assists to two other players. And he basically dominated that game. He's so, you, I, don't, I don't know if people realize how strong he is and how good he is at covering the ball. Obviously his vision and his passing, everything he does is, I mean, there, there's a reason why, he, why he's Ronaldinho. <laughs> and not only that, I, I also have to mention how how humble the guy is, you know, because uh, mm -hmm. the, the game was played in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, but since everybody loves Ronaldinho, there were more, and there's a big Brazilian population in Santa Cruz and in some of the other cities. So you would see the stands all yellowed, you know, everybody supporting him and, and the way he would respond to everybody calling his name. He'd be just a stand-up guy, you know? <laughs> and so I, I feel like he's one of the players that I admire most. Him in his prime, he can, probably be better than any other player. We, we talked as well about Bolivia being a tough place to play. Which of the countries that you went to play in was the hardest one to go and play in? We played uh, against Spain right before they went to the Brazil World Cup. They were just off being champions. So we were playing against the, the World Cup champions, you know, in Spain with Iniesta, Xavi. And I remember that game. It must have been 75-25 possession. Uh, <laughs> I think I had almost cramped up early in the second half. So, yeah, they, the way they moved the ball around at that time, you know, uh, and, and this was probably one of the best times for, for Spanish soccer. In terms of atmosphere, though, Alejandro, like, like some of those atmospheres you get in South America when you walk out into them, what was particularly intimidating? Uh, I, I wouldn't call it intimidating because I was looking forward to it, but it was okay. again... Totally it get was, it, yep. Last year, uh, we played against Boca in, in La Bombonera. Oh, and that was really that was one of the stadiums that I had dreamed of playing my entire life. And actually, right before we found out who were going to be in our groups, uh, I was saying, all right, I haven't played in Maracana and I haven't played in La Bombonera. And I hope to God uh, 
we get we get one of those teams in in the group stages and then the last team that was we were the last team called in the group and Boca was in it so I was really excited uh for it uh Davis was was playing is playing in Boca now so it was great to be playing against a, a top player like him yeah definitely at the beginning I, I felt like wow this environment is crazy and I kind of expected it to be a little louder, you know, but that was just them warming up. Once the whistle blew, <laughs> you can hear it like, 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 like if you were wearing headphones, you know, you can hear every single fan chanting together in unison. Can you talk to other players on the pitch or is it so loud that it's difficult to communicate? There are only moments when they quiet down that you can hear them, but when they're, <laughs> when they're at full steam ahead, you know, it's, it's impossible to hear you. Where you're playing some of the best like stadiums in the world and everything, and I know what you say. It's um, it's not intimidating even as a supporter when you're a visiting supporter when you go into one of these places that has like a loud crowd. You're right; it does sort of get you up for the game. What else is on the horizon for you? I mean. How is soccer in Bolivia now? Is it coming back? Are you in between the two seasons or? The quarantine uh, cut our, our season in half. It, it's usually divided in two semesters, Apertura uh, yeah. and Clausura. So we were halfway through the, uh, the first tournament. For now, it's, it's, it's paused. Uh, they said uh, about a week ago that they're not going to end it uh, mm-hmm. halfway. We're, they're going to find a way to, to just continue it uh, when this is all over. And, and yeah, uh, we have, uh, during those tournaments in between, you know, uh, the Copa Libertadores games and also the Eliminatorias. And I'd actually had been called up for the games against Brazil and, and Argentina, the first two games of, of the Eliminatorias for Qatar 2022. But uh, unluckily, that, that all got postponed. And now we're just waiting to see how, how this all plays out. Did you play in a World Cup yet, Ali, or not? No, no. Bolivia hasn't qualified to a World Cup since 1994 in the U.S. So, so you'd like to qualify for you'd like to qualify for that 2022, then, would you? I think I've I've played for two different qualifiers, and with this one, it would be my third. And then, what else away from football? What do you do in your spare time? What do you like to do to relax and everything? Here, we're pretty controlled, you know, in in terms of uh, the fan base, you know. So there's really no players that can go out like too late at night without them saying, "Hey, you should be asleep," you know. So we 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 stay at home and hang out by the pool. I wish we had a beach in Bolivia, you know, because uh, me and my wife we both love love that environment. But for now, I'm just living my dream, and obviously that dream has some sacrifices that that we have to commit to. Uh, but you know, uh, it's a short career, so eventually we'll be be able to do whatever we want. So is there anything else you miss from Miami apart from the beach? I always loved Miami because it was probably one of the most diverse cities in the world. Very different from, from any other city, you know. I, I love Boston and I love New York as much as anybody, but Miami has that different environment, you know, very cultural. Besides my family, obviously my parents and uh, my brothers, you know, who, who have been there for over 30 years now. And, well, that's good to know that you've got a few, you've got some roots here. So, you know, maybe a little bit further down the line, there's Miami FC and into Miami here now. So, uh, who knows? You could do a little uh, return to where it all began, Alejandro. Right now, I would really hope to play at least a year or two for, for Miami Inter. You know, it, we've been waiting for this for a while because uh, Marcelo Claude, who's one of the... Yes, there's a uh, Bolivian link there, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he, he's one of the... One of Beckham's friends who who's part of the Miami team so I mean I have that contact that way but I don't know we'll see 
Okay, well, Alejandro, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great chat. Um, and you know, when you come back to Miami, we'll have to meet up and uh, and say hi. Uh, but take care of yourself. Don't let the lockdown get you down. And um, best of luck when it all starts uh, back up again. Oh, thank you, Lee. Uh, it's nice to have an interview in English. I'll let you guys know when I'm heading down to Miami and we can all meet up. All right, that was uh, Alejandro Menian, uh, who we appreciate uh, joining us for a few moments. I, it was really interesting to hear him talk about, you know, I guess every professional athlete, I guess everyone has this kind of story of having to adapt their normal training routine to the, you know, the limitations they have. Obviously, what the, the limitations in place in Bolivia may be different from what we have here in Florida, uh, but still, you know, that kind of perseverance to stay in shape is really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, once you start working out and getting in a routine, I think under lockdown, you know, I've been doing a little bit of working out myself. Um, it's, it's one thing to keep yourself ticking over and keeping yourself fit. But there's another thing is match sharpness, you know, the sharpness to play a game of soccer. And uh, that's what's going to be uh, missing and take a little bit of time to get back. But, uh, but yeah, man, what, a, what an interesting career and especially the international angle. And when he started reeling off those names, like, you know, Neymar, Ronaldinho, Messi, I'm like, what, what, how great is it that this guy from Miami has his career and goes against up against those names? It's, uh, it's incredible. Great you story. Know, you know, what's really interesting about his story is there's a lot of similarities to Pablo's story in episode one. Right. When he talks about his youth playing days playing out at, at KSC and, you know, kind of when I did some some deep dive into him before recording this podcast or into Alejandro, he's only a couple of years older than Pablo. And yet their stories are quite similar in Miami. When you when you hear him talking mm -hmm. about how their youth teams were so different than the rest of the country because they were just a mix of Latinos playing together with a bunch of different styles. And in that melting pot that is South Florida, as opposed to kind of that long ball, just throw it over the top in the air and then go out and chase it. Yeah, I like that bit as well, Omar. I mean, he really did sort of break it down that, you know, they went into that tiki-taka and, you know, there's a players to do it in this part of the world. And uh, he, he did say that it was a little bit more kick and rush on the other side of the coin. So, um, yeah, man, it just shows that the talent of players and the talent of coaches is there in, here in South Florida. All right. Without further ado, we're going to move you into the second segment of this episode, Staring Out of South Florida, part do, two, dos, whichever you prefer. Let's take it away, Mandy Freeman. Okay, so now I am with Mandy Freeman, um, soccer player, defender for Sky Blue FC in the NWSL. Mandy, how are we doing today? Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Enjoying quarantine? You're enjoying it? That's rare because everyone else seems <laughs> to be hating it. <laughs> it's, a nice, it's a nice time to relax and prepare myself more for the season. So Let's start with that, Mandy, because I know that you're rebounding from quite a serious injury, which ruled you out completely of 2019. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I ruptured my Achilles literally the first week of training. It was the last day of the first week of preseason. Went down, got um, an MRI. It was completely torn, so I had surgery on it. And uh, I'm back now fully. I got injured last March, so... 
it's been like a whole year, but I was rearing ready to go when the season started and um, disappointed that, you know, we all have to be separated during this time, but I'm good to go now. How hard is that mentally, Mandy? When you, when you have a serious injury like that, I mean, some of the best players in the world sometimes struggle to come back from that sort of thing. How did you deal with that setback and, you know, do you feel like you come back stronger? I think it definitely makes you mentally tougher having to going into season prepared to play and then you get an injury like that that takes you off the whole season. It's definitely an adjustment because your role on the team changes. You know, you're no longer a player. You're now an injured player. So it was just a different adjustment. But um, my team helped me through it. Same with my athletic trainers and able to get me back fully recovered and ready for competition this year. Definitely grew from that experience. And then talk to me about yourself as a, as a player, Mandy. So um, any, anyone who might not know about you out there, uh, you're a defender. Are you centre-back? Do you like to play on uh, in the full-back positions? Yes. So I'm a centre-back, true centre-back. Um, I dabbled in a holding mid position in college, but I've been playing centre-back since youth team since like I think U15 um so I'm a defender I love it I love kicking forwards but makes my day <laughs> when I was playing I had this experience of I started as a defender and went to a forward so sometimes mm-hmm. I think that stands you in good stead because everything I learned as a defender that I could use against defenders when I became a forward so you, you were a defender all the time from when you were a kid or did you start out in a different position Oh, no. When I was a kid, I feel like when you're younger, you kind of just play all over the place. So as a kid, I was a forward. I was a midfielder. I was a winger. It wasn't until like U15 that I really started playing defense as like an either an outside back or a center back. But when I was younger, I played all over the place. And um, of all the positions, I do have to say I like center back better. You can read the game more and I feel like you control the game it's a place where you're kind of like you have to be a leader because you're kind of demanding accountability from everybody on the field and so I enjoy it what I like about playing in defense you've got to be consistent you can't really make mistakes you've got to be like on it for the full 90 haven't you yeah and I feel like that's always where the offense versus defense comes in where defense is held accountable more for small little mistakes versus a forward it's like you know you got him next time you know, you'll get the next shot versus us where it's like, it's kind of like life or death. Like it's, if we mess up, it's a goal in the back of the net. Exactly. So let me take you back. Let me take you right back, Mandy, um, to where it all began with you and soccer. How did it all begin? Where did you first start kicking the ball around? I grew up watching my sisters play. I have two older sisters that played. They both played into college. So when I was younger, every time they were at practice, I was also there too. So I just got used to being around soccer and watching soccer all the time. And that's how my love for the game developed. And from there, I just, um, my mom put me on my own soccer team. And I played with Boca United for a couple of years and then Team Boca for a few years. And then I switched to Renegades. That's farther down south for my last year. We're familiar with Team Boca because they mm-hmm. have a WPSL team. So we have a team in Miami called FC Surge. So uh, we've, we've seen them down here a couple of times. Is that awesome? So hailing out of the Palm Beaches in South Florida, you then went to um, Southern California, right? Yes. Went to college all the way on the West Coast. I grew up in Florida. I've been playing there my whole life, and I just wanted a chance to experience being on my own, being on the West Coast. The weather was similar to to Florida, so I wasn't like up north in the East Coast having to deal with snow, because that would just have not worked well. So... The USC, I loved my experience there, won a national championship, which is always nice to add. And yeah, I had a great time. Soccer was great. The school was great. Weather was awesome. 
So you learned your trade in South Florida. Yes. Went to play college in Southern California. Then you were drafted into the NWSL. I'm not very familiar with that whole draft process. Do you do you sort of know beforehand what's going to happen and where you're going to go? Do you have conversations or is it really like, oh no, I got picked and I'm going to this team? <laughs> um, I think it depends on your situation. I had my coaches, which my college coaches were in communication with a few of the pro teams after I'd graduated. So I kind of had an understanding of what teams were interested, how high in the rankings I might go. But that situation is different from others. There are others that enter with just the hopes of being picked. And um, the draft experience was great. I didn't really know that I even wanted to enter the draft until my junior, the end of my junior year of college. Um, so that was a shocking experience for me to, I guess, have that want to play soccer even after college. Um, growing up, there weren't many women's professional leagues or teams at all. So that was never an aspiration of mine. Um, and that got realized in college. So how is that step up then from the college game to the NWSL? Because I think you're the first person I've talked to that's made that step up. What's it like? It's super competitive. I mean, you have Right now, the whole U.S. women's national team, all of them play in the league on various teams. Um, so it's super competitive. The speed of play is so much faster than college and just having to read the game quicker. Me being a center back, you know, I'm playing against forwards that have been playing for like years longer than me. And so um, being a rookie, having to come in and play against players with that much experience was definitely daunting. But um, I had a good season I love my team it was a great experience I mean I love being a pro I never would have imagined it and I can't see my life without it now I did talk to someone about the NWSL and you know it's it's a shame there's so few teams because there's so few slots mm -hmm. for for ladies to go and play in that professional yeah, game so right. I can imagine how competitive it is but mm -hmm. um but like I said you seem to have taken to it well because you're wrapped up before the injury, a fair old number of appearances <laughs> in the NWSL. Yeah. Who's the toughest player you played against? I would have to say Sam Kerr. She plays for the Australian women's national team, and now she's over playing in Chelsea. But she's my teammate for my first year that I came into the league. Then after that, we played against each other. And she's just so smart as a forward, super dynamic. She's one of those forwards that just never stops moving. She's always looking to find the ball, which is as a center back, you know, Every time I've looked over my shoulder, it's distracting. So I'd say she's one of the best players. Phenomenal finisher. Yeah, she's a heck of a player. Um, yeah. Talking about national teams, you know, you've represented the U.S. at, at, at sort of the youth levels. Mm -hmm. um, is playing for the women's national team, the, the first team, is that a goal for you? Yeah, 100%. I think it's a goal for most players that are playing in the league. It's to get there. You're playing with... All of them are amazing, fantastic players and people. And to be able to compete at that level with them would be a great honor. And that's definitely um, a goal of mine. So hopefully, you know, I get in that mix. Do you have any info on when uh, the NWSL might be back, Mandy? No, I know that they have started allowing some teams depending on what your state allows to practice um, not necessarily as a team but just individual you can be on the practice field at your training facility um, when it comes to when to start again that is it's all day by day I mean they get more news we have meetings constantly about 
um, updates with the, the virus and how it's going to affect our season. And we have a meeting like every week because there's always something changing. There's always new information. So right now we don't have a specific start date. I know New Jersey, where my team is located, their stay-at-home order ends in June. So I think that's when we're going to look to start getting back into small group trainings. And Sky Blue FC, they've had a little bit maybe of problems in the past, but I know a lot mm-hmm. of things have changed for Sky Blue FC. And, you know, I think you're training at the Red Bull, um, New York Red Bulls training center and that yes. sort of thing. How is the environment then now? From where I was coming in my rookie year to now, this is my fourth year. I mean, leaps and bounds have been made um, with the staff, training facilities, housing, just all around. It's so much better. Um, this year, definitely looking forward to having all of our home games be at Red Bull Arena. Um, fortunately, we don't know how well that's going to turn out once everything goes back to normal. But the just the first week that we had of training was spectacular. I mean, huge locker room for all of us. We had access to the weightlifting room, the training room. It was a great environment to be in. Again, with the NWSL, how long would anyone say this? It's an interesting league because there's not that many teams. Is there a lot of travel involved? Are you always on a bus or a plane or something when the league is running? Um, yeah, so there are only nine teams in. I know over the next few years are talking about expansion and potentially bringing in more teams. I know Louisville is supposed to come into the league next year. I believe that's what it was. Um, so we're trying to get more teams to make it even more competitive and allow more players to play. Just to jump in there. Yeah. It's the last thing, I think, the last piece of the puzzle we sort of need down in Miami, South Florida, mm-hmm. is that NWSL team. You know, we, yeah. we, we went for quite a long time without even like a men's professional team. Yeah. Now we have two. I'm dying to get one down in uh, down in Miami. That would yeah, be great. Yeah, I know. But, uh, that would be awesome. I know we have the Orlando Pride, um, which is in North Florida, but we definitely need one to represent South Florida. I can't support Orlando. <laughs> we need a South Florida team. We do. We do. tell me if you want to answer this question or not Mandy mm-hmm. is it is it a little more difficult for women of color to break through I look at the U.S. women's national team mm-hmm. there's not a lot of diversity in that yeah. team um do, do you think there's still barriers for for for, for, for for certain ethnicities for the game in this country yeah I think that was part of the reason why growing up it was never a goal of mine to be on the team because looking on the team I didn't see many players like me um so I think it was like Brianna Scurry and she's a goalkeeper she was the only one the only black player on the team that I know of at the time I definitely think it's a little bit harder to be seen you know soccer is a pretty expensive sport to be in um so for you know lower income communities it's hard to get on a good travel team like Team Boca and to be seen as something other than just fast I feel like there's a stigma attached to black female players that you know we just have speed but you know we have skill too and so I think it's getting out of that one dimension that will allow more players to be looked at um that are of people of color especially in South Florida I mean there's so much diversity and so it'd be great to have uh, a pro team there yeah it's it's the same problem for the men you often find the male black players they always get the same adjectives you know they're powerful they're they've got pace they're quick that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and the, the technical abilities are always downplayed a little bit. Yeah. 
Um, but you're right, in South Florida, we have like a diverse, you know, makeup of people here. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever come across like a, a young girl who's maybe seen you play and has said something like, oh, I want to be a soccer player like you when I grow up? Yeah, I have. And I, and I really love those moments, especially with the, you know, little black girls, because I didn't have that to look up to when I was younger. So I'm always appreciative. Um, I coached a team while I'm home, like for the past two years, uh, Glade Central high school just to kind of give back their um pro their soccer program wasn't getting a lot of attention from the school and I just wanted to go there and be like look I'm a professional athlete I grew up in South Florida and you guys can very well be where I am in my position um and it just takes a lot of extra work that others may not have to go through so it's definitely an issue yeah I can imagine um so yeah just to bring it back to the beginning a little bit um mm-hmm. back to south florida do you think that um playing in south florida was a little bit of an advantage because you know we we do have like a hotbed of soccer down here maybe if you'd have mm-hmm. grown up somewhere else you wouldn't have had that <laughs> co- that competitive start to your career as uh, mm-hmm. as a youth do you think that's fair to say there's a bit of an advantage down here yeah, I think soccer is huge in Florida, which was great. There's o- there's always a club team to play for. Um, even in high school, soccer is pretty competitive. So I think it's definitely an advantage compared to other states where you may not have as many as much access to fields, especially being in Florida where we get sunny weather all year round. You don't have to worry about the change of season. So I think that's definitely an asset to have. If I could give you a magic wand and you could wave it and you could change one thing about women's soccer in America. What would you do? Um, I think what I would do is visibility. I think that's the hardest thing with women's sports in general is just not having the same access to major TV networks showing our games all the time or major sponsorships with these big companies and organizations. Um, I'd say that was definitely something that has held the NWSL back. I mean, last year you could only stream our games online. This year we were supposed to, we were going to be on ESPN but um, I think the visibility aspect and having easier access to view games to watch games to support teams I think is the one thing that I would change perfect well Mandy thank you very much for your time great oh, to catch you up so with you thank you so much it's it's great to catch up with you and I've, I've, I've unearthed a few players throughout this little odyssey I've talked about 10 players and you know mm-hmm. oh I never knew this player had a link to South Florida or seeing, um, yeah, seeing some surprised. of the talent Be that's surprised. out there Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll keep oh, an eye out um, for Sky Blue FC when, when uh, yes. the, the season starts back up again. Um, Love that. If, uh, if, if I was to, if, if you were a betting lady, how yeah. far do you think you can go in the NWSL when to get something starting? Honestly, I think no one should count us out. I think we're going to do really well. We had a rough season last year, but we're under new coaching, new management. So I think you could see us definitely in the final four. Mandy Freeman, centre-back, Sky Blue FC in the NWSL and hopefully future US Women's National Team centre-back. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, Thank you uh, again to uh, Mandy Freeman for her time. I think a really illuminating conversation uh, about a number of issues in American soccer uh, that I think she brought to the fore, Omar. Yeah, absolutely. I think having her say 
that when she looked at the U.S. women's national team, there were very few people, essentially a backup goalkeeper, that looked like her. It never really gave her those, uh, you know, career ambitions to shoot for the U.S. women's national team. And and mind you, she's coming off an Achilles injury, and, and she seems like she's back in full fit, full health. Uh, so she should take the 2020 season by storm, and we wish her all the best. She's got a log jam in front of her, really, at that center back position. Uh, but being that she's only, if I'm not mistaken, 23 or 25, it's one of the two. I'm so sorry, Mandy. Don't mean to age you, but... Uh, it is her. She's got years to develop. She's got years to, to carve out a niche in that spot. And we wish her all the best. I think she would be fantastic to get her in that position playing for the Stars and Stripes. Yeah, and sometimes centre-backs, you know, they have a longer shelf life as well, don't they, Omar? I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those footballing cliches, but it's true. Good centre-backs, they can sometimes go to, you know, sort of 35, 36. You know, you know in the women's game as well, it's the same. So yeah, she's, she, 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 she could have like 10, 10 years, you know, NWSL and who knows, you know, who knows? I think it would be great to see her in a, in a US uh, WNT jersey. And it's, it, she's such a talent. And especially when you, when you, she could have given any answer for who's the toughest player she's played against, right? <laughs> and she, she gives you probably the most tactful player in the women's game in Sam Kerr. Somebody who, like, if you don't watch a women's game, you don't necessarily know kind of her prominence and how great she is because she's one of those that flies under the radar. She's not a Marta. She's not a Carly Lloyd. She's not an Alex Morgan. But if you're in tune with the women's game, you know just how good Sam Kerr is. So you can tell that Mandy's answer wasn't even really a, a one that would kind of roll off the cuff and you say, oh, yeah, her, okay, and you just move on with the conversation. No, she, she named probably one of the most well-rounded woman footballers in the world. Um, I went down a rabbit hole of Sam Kerr best goals and it was that was quite an enjoyable half an hour <laughs> on the lunch <laughs> break <laughs> during the working week working from home. It's always a good good way to pass time is just find a bunch of a uh, bunch of top class goals. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting, especially a league like the NWSL, um, where it, it is you know with MLS and USL soccer kind of gets uh, sometimes the the 1B treatment of sports leagues where you have, you know, like uh, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin, um, Gavin uh, Newsom in California talking about the sports leagues uh, and failing to mention MLS. And now USL and NWSL have to wrestle with, you know, being a, 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 a generally in terms of fan attention, a step below MLS. Uh, how though, how specifically the NWSL is going to, adjust to this new reality because again some states you have uh, an opening going on and, and teams are returning to individualized trainings uh, at their facilities whereas in other states like new york new jersey uh you know there's a chicago squad the nwsl uh illinois has a, a bit more strict uh steps in place how you're going to see these teams be able to to get into shape and we alluded to the match fitness uh, after our first conversation how these teams are going to be able to get up and running when they're all generally kind of perhaps on a different schedule because of the restrictions put in place by their states. That, that to me is going to be a really interesting dynamic Point to see back. play yeah. out over the next couple well, of weeks. When you look at it at face value, really, and, and you look at this league, this might be I, – I, okay, let me preface by saying that I don't know if I am on board with the whole quarantine. Let's create a bubble – environment put every team in a hotel and then play out a common site right like i don't know how i feel about that there's massive sacrifices that you have to make if you're a player you're staying away from your family for weeks a month 
weeks upon weeks, if not months upon months. And that's being discussed now, whether it's the NHL or whether it's MLB even talking about playing other games in Arizona and some games in Florida and making it spring training or even basketball per se with floating the Disney World idea and playing at wide world of sports. The NWSL might be the one league in this country that is able to pull that off, considering the fact that there's only nine teams. And if the women of the NWSL want to make that sacrifice, this is the one that can do it. Why? You're only talking about nine teams. And yeah, while you're talking about a pretty lengthy season and we're talking about months upon months, if you wanted to get this in at a go, you could. You could play two week, sorry, two matches a week and get this, you know, get the season through in, in, in possibly a span of three to four months. You know, speaking of this conversation of putting teams in bubbles, there's been this, this MLS talk of, you know, putting everyone at Disney World uh, and, and having them play out. And, and I just have to wonder, will the winner of that competition uh, hoist a Mickey Mouse Cup? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, it, wouldn't it be prime that that's how Orlando City makes the playoffs for the, yeah. first <laughs> for the Mickey Mouse Cup? I mean, for Mickey Mouse FC to win the Mickey Mouse Cup? Yeah, sounds good to me. But as we move on to the third part of this show, Lee was able to catch up with upcoming star playing in the Haitian youth national system, Schneider Borgelin from Philadelphia Union 2, a USL championship club. What were some of your take, quick takeaways before we uh, recap that conversation on the backside of it, Lee? First of all, to all the Haitians, all the Haitians out there, I hope you had a great flag day. Very important date in the Haitian calendar. What I like about Schneider, and you're about to hear him talk, is he is a young man who has got his head screwed on straight. Like every question I asked him, like he gave what I feel was the most appropriate, honest answer. And at the nuts and bolts of it, he's a, he's a young kid. I don't mean to say kid. Sorry, Schneider. He's a young man who's got this opportunity, world at his feet, to play professional soccer in this country. And, um, and we'll, we'll listen to him in his own words, but uh, I, he's got a shot. Like if he gets a run in the team and he bangs some goals in, yeah, this, this kid could be good. Let's, um, let's hear a little bit from Schneider. Okay, so with me is Schneider Borgelin of, I guess, um, Philadelphia Union 2 now, rather than Bethlehem Steel, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so it used to be called Bethlehem Steel, but now we rebranded as a, as a club and, you know, we decided to go with Union 2. So you are, correct me if I'm wrong, just 18 years old, is that right? Yeah, correct, correct, yeah. Eight, so 18 years old um, and playing, you know, in the, in the B team of an established MLS team. Can you tell me how that happened? So when I moved to Philadelphia at like 15 years old, um, I moved to, to the academy system. So I basically just started out there. And then over the year, I progressed, progressed. So I went from U17 to U19 in a year. And then the next year, which was my second season, uh, I was playing very well. And then we had a new director come into the club to take over everything. And he believes in youth. So he came up to me one day and was like, hey, like, how are you? My name's Ernst Tanner. You know, nice to meet you. I want to get to know you better. He said he sees a lot in me. So uh, I was saying in October, I went to qualifiers with Haiti. And it was like a World Cup qualifier with my, the U20 team. And then once, once I, you know, finished my last game with them, I got a contract offer for the second team and said, hey, 
we want you playing with the second team like for day in day out every weekend and I want you to practice with us so you can improve and by the time you're ready we can push you on to the first team when when the time's ready so ever since then you know like they trusted me and they put their faith in me and then I just got the opportunity so it was, it was something cool. So let's rewind a little bit so when did you first start getting into soccer? When when did you first start dreaming of playing professionally? I first started getting soccer at like four years old, three or four years old around there. But I didn't take it seriously until I was about, I'd say, 13, 13, yeah, around 13, 12, 13 around there. Yeah, that's when I was like, all right, like I actually could take soccer somewhere. So I want to take it seriously. And so you you grew up um, in Broward County in, in Margate, is that right? Well, I was born in Margate, but I grew up in North Lauderdale. And so youth soccer in this area, you, you came through that system, right? So I played recreational soccer from the age of, I'll say, like seven to uh, 11 years old. And then after that, my dad was like, hey, you know, we want, well, I want to put you in a travel team so you can get looked at more and, you know, experience a better environment. So... When I was about 12 years old, that's when I joined my first travel soccer team. But it was relatively around the area. So I was in like Parkland or Cold Springs. So yeah, that was my first ever, you know, travel team. Do you think it's an advantage to be in South Florida where there is a lot of youth soccer and a lot of youth academy sort of pushing players and competing with each other? Do you think that was a factor in you getting a good start in your career? Uh, yeah, I'd say South Florida has one of the best talents in the country. I believe that. So I say here in California, because a lot of the players that, that are in the Union Academy, a lot of them are from Florida also. So I say, yeah, that's a big advantage because each team has a, you know, a top player. So it's like, all right, you know, you're going out every single game to be the best, you know. So like it's always competitive here. It's very physical. And, you know, there's a lot of skillful players and players of all sizes and shapes. I definitely say it's definitely competitive over here and an advantage. I found a little something on the internet. That, uh, were you in Europe for some trials, maybe like a year or two ago? How was that experience for you? So the first time I ever went to Europe, I was about 13, 14, and that was England. I went with like a camp to West Ham, and I played very well there. And then West Ham asked me if I had a passport so I could move over there. But, I mean, you know, I was very young at the time. I didn't know. So, you know, my, that dream went away. And then when I was 14, before I went to Philly, it was that summer I went to Germany with another team and I played against, um, who did I play against? I played against Duisburg, all those big teams. And we had, I think about six games and I scored nine goals in six games against them. Yeah, so it was against all these top teams. And I was stuck between either going to Europe, to Germany, cause the teams were interested in me or going to Philly or, you know, taking my talent somewhere else to like some other MLS Academy. But yeah, I mean, it was a very hard choice, but I decided to go with Philly because of the setup. And, you know, my mom, my mom wanted to move to Germany with me and I didn't want her to sacrifice that. So it was just, yeah, we prayed about it and it just pointed to the, you know, Philly direction. You mentioned your family and you mentioned your father earlier on. Was, uh, was your father a big influence in uh, getting you started with soccer? Yeah, so my dad actually started me. He started all three of my uh, brothers. So I have two brothers, sorry, my bad. Um, yeah, but he started all three of us in soccer, and I just stuck with it ever since. So, yeah, he's a big influence in my life for soccer. Talk to me a little bit about you as a player. Um, what, what position do you play in? I play forward, so striker. Striker. Six so, foot five, yeah. is that right? <laughs> yeah, like six four, six five around there. Do you like it, like, played in high to you, or are you good with your feet? Are you technical as well? You're not 
You're not just a big oh, guy up front. It's actually it's actually pretty like interesting. So as tall as I am, I'm very quick. Like uh, so I like the ball. I like to be physical a lot. That's probably one of my biggest strengths, being uh, strong, holding up the ball. But then again, like I can get the ball on my feet and take defenders on, and I'm quick. So it's it's like a win-win situation. So if you want to play, if you want to play tough, I can play tough. But if you want to stand me up, I can beat you. Like you know, one v one, anything. So. Growing up, was there a player that you really sort of identified with that you know would sort of model yourself on or would aspire to? At a young age, definitely Thierry Henry. That was probably that's probably my favorite player of all time. He comes up every single time. Whenever I talk to people, it's always Thierry Henry, and I totally understand why. Fantastic player. Him and I'd say probably Didier Drogba and Zlatan mm -hmm. Ibrahimovic. But uh, all those three players, I definitely those are the players that I love to like you know model myself with. And most recently, Tammy Abraham, because he's basically like me. Like, he's tall, lanky, uh, he's quick, fast. So, yeah, it's basically the same thing as me. So how did that come about, like, the national team identifying you? Do they have, like, camps around South Florida, or do they have scouts around here? And I was in Philly, actually, and then the Confederation heard about me, and they emailed me and said, hey, like, uh, we're interested in you, and we want you to come for a camp. So I went to the camp for the first time, and they really liked what they saw, and then that's when they were saying how they want me to come back for the World Cup qualifiers with the U20 team. And I was around 17 at the time. So I was playing against kids like four years older than me. So, <laughs> and I mean, you know, I'd like to help out and it'd be a great experience. But I was in, I was in Philly when they first contacted me. So I, I don't really know how that went, but I just remember receiving an email from them saying they want me to come. So I just took the opportunity. How did it feel the first time that you like heard that? The first time that they said, "Hey, like the the Haitian national team, the under 20s they they they, they want you to play." What's the emotion like with that? Uh, to be honest with you, I was pretty like psyched out about it because yeah, uh, my dad, my dad, his dream was always for me to play for a national team, and especially playing for a homeland national team like Haiti was a big experience. So, um, you know, my dad was like, "Hey, you know, you, I want you to take this opportunity and make us proud." So I was like, "All right, so." You know, I just decided to do it, and it's definitely the best decision and best opportunity I ever got, probably. I know there's a big Haitian community in South Florida. I've been here 10 years now myself. Did you ever go to the Haiti Cup? No, actually, I haven't. I've never gotten the opportunity to, to be honest. But um, I'd love to one day. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what the advice I would give you is that I know you're not 21 yet. You're going to wait till you're 21 because there's quite a little bit. There's a little bit of room going around in the stands and that uh... sort of thing. But no, I went, I went for the first time last year and um, it, was, it was a fantastic atmosphere, the closest I would say to Europe, like since I got to, to, to Miami, to South Florida. Why is soccer so important to Haitians? I'll say it's basically like the same in any other third world country, you know, um, there's not really a lot of opportunities, but something about the sport just gives, it just connects everybody together. So like, especially when I went to Haiti, like, you know, there's people on the side of the streets, you know, poor, like dying, all that. But when, when it's, once it comes to soccer, it's like, wow, everyone's happy. Like, they're happy to see that. So, I don't know, soccer is just a beautiful sport, and it's just something that connects everyone together. So, yeah, that's probably the answer that I'll give you, to be honest. How good would it be, right? Let's say World Cup 2026. Haiti gets to the qualifiers. They get to that World Cup in 2026. Miami hosts a game. 
and we get like Haiti versus USA in Hard Rock <laughs> Stadium in Miami and you make that squad and you march out into that, like the biggest stadium in South Florida. Yeah, I think, yeah, that would be actually crazy, man. Just playing against, you know, USA. Uh, I have a lot of friends on the U.S. national team, so playing against them, um, especially in my hometown against my, my fans and, you know, just my homeland country like that. Yeah, that, that should be a crazy dream to experience, man. <laughs> yeah, so man. Um, so before, before we get to that stage, like, what's your, you know, for your career, what sort of aims do you have? I know it's, it's a difficult sport and it's so competitive, but do you, would you hope to go back to Europe, or, you know, are you focused on making your name in the U.S.? Yeah, so basically uh, the end goal is definitely to go to Europe because that's that's where Europe that's where soccer actually started. So in Europe, so my goal is basically to do as best as I can and improve and develop and just make the first team and you know just keep improving there and make my name in the U.S. and eventually all that will come into place. So Europe is definitely the end goal, but for now, just gotta focus on what I have and just work hard. Of course. Is there a dream team that you would love to sign for in Europe? Well, my favorite team of all time is definitely Barcelona. But <laughs> obviously, Barcelona is a dream team. But, you know, any team that gives me an opportunity in Europe, I, I'll be happy to, you know, play for them and, you know, just make my way, make my way up there. Yeah. say is the best atmosphere you've played in so far I mean I know you it's only like I say only but it's the under 20 team is going to Haiti and playing in front of a Haitian crowd is that the best atmosphere you've experienced or has it been somewhere else I'd, I'd say it would either be the Haitian atmosphere we had like I, I believe like 2,000 fans one game or it would have to be in the USL game where we played in front of around 6,000 fans so yeah I, th those two occasions probably like the best atmosphere I ever played in um, so the lockdown, it must be so frustrating for you, mate, because, you know, you're just starting your career out. You're just breaking through into, uh, you know, the, the Philadelphia Union system. It's kind mm -hmm. of the worst possible time for you, really, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, as bad as the cold quarantine thing happened, like, you know, we were starting our whole season up and we were feeling very good about our team and, like, what we have. But, um, I mean, as bad as it, as it is, it's, I'm actually glad it happened because, now it's like it's kind of the off season kind of, kind of for us so i get to work on things that i never had to work that i never could work on during the season like you know my weaknesses like my shooting with my left or you know dribbling all the all those things so every single day i've just been up you know going to the field and then improving myself so this this kind of period separates you from your teammates and other players around the world and even in the country and in my league so I would say this is a big advantage, but, you know, a little step back, obviously, because you can't play. But, yeah, this is a separate who wants it more and, you know, who just wants to be average, you know? So we're doing a little series, like I say, you know, people who have sort of come through Miami, maybe they've been passing through, whether they came here to play or anything like that. Would you ever come back and play for Inter Miami? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that would be a cool, that'd be a cool experience, you know, playing for my hometown. But I mean, if the opportunity ever came, it, I'd definitely take it for sure. You know, uh, later on in my career, that'd be something like crazy to do. There is also the college route in this country. Is there any particular reason you didn't go that route, or is it just because the chance to play for an MLS side came up? Uh, I don't think the college route was bad. 
but for me, it was always about going pro ever since a kid. So, um, you know, when the opportunity came, I never really thought about going to college before the opportunity came. But once it came, I was like, all right, you know, I have an opportunity to make something of myself. So I just took it. But, you know, the college route for me, it, it just didn't work for me because, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the distractions like uh, partying, you know, you're playing back games every week. And it's like, I don't know, for me, it just didn't work. So I just decided to go with the professional route and make my way, make my way there. But uh, the college route is definitely not a bad route, though. Schneider, thank you so much for your time. It's great to find out a little bit about you. And, you know, you're starting out your career. And uh, now we know where you are. We can keep some tabs on you. And um, uh, Philadelphia Union 2, is that USL League 1 or the USL Championship? Remind me. Uh, USL Championship. So USL Championship. So if you come down here and play Miami FC, uh, once, yeah. since it starts getting, but I'm a Miami FC fan. So, uh, um, you know, maybe we can, uh, once all this is over, and then we can have a proper handshake. Um, we can get a chance to meet then. But we really appreciate your time. Um, good luck with your career and breaking through. And um, let's hope we can get back on the soccer field again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yet another fantastic conversation with Lee Ethens and Schneider Borglin here to wrap up uh, the second episode of uh, Straight Out of South Florida. When you look at the conversation, Lee, with Schneider, um, he's played four times. He's got four appearances, if my stats are correct, with the under-20 uh, Haitian national team. If he made the jump to the men's division, uh, being that he's 6'5", I mean, he's only 18 years old, um, the United States should be looking at him. He's got U.S. citizenship. He's an American-born. He plays out of Margate, Florida. This is a guy that if you're in the United States, you need to keep your eye on. You would think that is such an advantage to have a guy who's 6'5", and as he mentioned, he doesn't care if you play the ball high or you play the ball low. He's great both ways. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it'll be hard for him, but I think he... I think he's, he's all about his Haitian roots. I think it'll be a difficult decision for him. But you're right, Omar. I mean, at just 18 years old, if, um, if he takes this chance and he starts scoring some goals, then, you know, a good goal scorer can be hard to find, you know, um, someone to play up top for the um, U.S. men's national team. But you know, that's been the format of these episodes as well. I just didn't want to, like, fill it with similar kinds of players. You know, it's, I always try to find sort of an established player like Alejandro, you know, a women's player like Mandy, and then a, an up-and-comer, um, you know, like, like Schneider. And as I said before, he's got such a good attitude. And sometimes that's, you know, that's a big part of the battle. If, you, if you've got the right attitude and you work hard and you add the talent into it, then, you know, it's, it's a recipe for success. And, you know, he's already scored for, uh, for the Steel, or the Union 2, I should say. He's playing in the USL Championship now. He's like on a roster of a USL Championship team now. So, uh, you know, the next three or four years has got to be really exciting for him. It, it is going to be exciting because the way I think about it, too, is he's, he reminds me, and this is going to be some lofty shoes he's going to have to fill. So, Schneider, I'm sorry, man, but he could be the United States' next Josie Altador before Josie Altador is gone. If you think about it, super strong center forward. You know, Josie's 6'1", he's 6'5", so there's a little bit of a difference there, but... You know, if, if, if he develops the way he should and moves on to Europe as his ambitions are, 
you know, imagine the sky is the ceiling for a guy with, with just those physical attributes. I'm going to start sending videos of him to Swansea City. <laughs> if he starts scoring goals. Boy, that's another thing. You mentioned, you mentioned Tammy Abraham, and as I'm listening to those yeah. conversations, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Did, Lee, did your heart drop? You were like, oh, yeah, I did a little bit. I was like, God, imagine Tammy Abraham and Schneider boggling up front for you. <laughs> but then again, you know, there's no tiki taka there. You just long ball. <laughs> yeah, 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 long ball. But you yeah. know when you got oh, no, no, to yeah. play the long ball. All right. Well, guys, this was the second episode of Straight Out of South Florida, as we discussed at the end of the first episode. If you haven't listened to the first episode, what are you doing? Why are you listening to this out of order? Go back. Stop right now. Pause before we start signing off. Go back. Listen to the first one. Come back. Finish the second one. But no, I like the idea of a good cop bad routine between you and me about the first episode. I'm like, yeah, check it out. You guys, are, you're like, what are you doing? Get get your love order. What's get wrong with you? Order. This is not seven. It's seven, eight, nine, not nine, eight, seven. Come on, let's do it the right way. In all seriousness, though, we are bringing a couple more of these episodes out to you guys here in the near future. Um, as we mentioned, during these crazy times in this pandemic, even as things are quote unquote reopening or whatever. Um, you know, it is important to stay safe and stay healthy. And from all of us and our family here at Magic City Soccer to yours, wish you guys nothing but the best of health as we bring this one in for a landing. Matt, Lee, anything else left to add? Keep your ears peeled for this next episode. I've got a little surprise in store for this next episode. I'm not going to give anything away, but it could be a landmark moment in no, Magic City Soccer podcast history. I'll leave you with yeah, I'll leave you with a cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> got planned. Matt, what you got? Uh, all I've got is that I'm just uh, it's exciting to see slowly but surely and kind of a fits and starts kind of see the soccer world turn back on. You know, you've you've got UPSL making pronounces that they're gonna be coming back, you've got MLS going back, and you've got Bundesliga over the weekend. Um couple few blowouts but at least at least you got to see goals and and see socially distant celebrations and and all of that it, it's a strange time you know a lot of the conversation about this whole playing of games with fans is, is that saying that has stuck in the lexicon the last couple of decades football without fans is nothing and that's often been used to defend the in-person experience and, and making sure fans get access to the stadium but I do think it gives us – while I don't want to obviously denigrate the in-person experience, I think it's really useful to now recognize that fandom is more than just that in-person experience. The shared communities that we develop in person, online, you know, through text messaging, in, in Zoom meetings, whatever, and, and seeing a, a new kind of fandom evolve is really cool. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out over the next few weeks. It's obviously not what anyone wants, but you – know, it's going to be interesting times. We're living in interesting times. Wow. For those of you that don't know, Matt is a Liverpool fan and he's desperate to get his hands on the trophy. That's what he means. <laughs> I'll take it out. Look, we, we've had this conversation on this show. Uh, and and I, I, I said to Chris Whittingham and I said to you guys, yeah, Liverpool's got I'm like, ah, eh, we'll see. We'll see. And uh, man, if you, hey, May 19th, they're not going to have their hands on the trophy yet. I I would have been surprised. Wait a but, little you know. bit longer, Matt. You have to just wait that little bit longer now. It's that teeny tiny bit longer, yeah. It's I'll the anticipation that makes it, you know, even better when you get it, isn't it? 
No one's going to forget it. That's for sure. Put an asterisk next to it, whatever. But no one's ever going to forget this one. I was going to let it slide. I was going to let it slide and just say, you know, that's very eloquently put by Matt there. But you know what, though? The more I think about it, Lee, you know, it's not even the inner Miami thing actually getting started. It's the fact that Liverpool might have two hands around the championship. The world was like, absolutely not. It's not happening. Virus unleashed. This is it. You guys I, I said it, 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 was, it was too easy from the jump. It was way too easy. And now this is, you know, you're going to have to, oh, are we just going to cancel the whole season on you? you got to wonder, maybe, possibly. Um, but, yeah, no, it, I, I do. I've thought about this over the last couple of weeks as we've thought about the idea of, like, yeah, you know, this, these derbies and these games and these teams are going to have to play and no one's going to be there. And it's very strange. But I, I, I think that redeveloping our connection to our players – getting to know them better through things like this and, and their social media outreach, getting connected better with teams as they shared their zoom meetings and stuff and get to see their interpersonal interactions. It, it, it's a different kind of fan experience. And it's one we don't really, we didn't choose it. We got no other option, but it, to me, it's, it's really good. It's going to be interesting to see where soccer goes the next month, the next six months, the next year. Yeah, definitely. That's eloquently put. Well done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go on that one. That's eloquently put. All right, boys. As we said, we're bringing in for a landing. Lee, tell the people where to find you. If, like me, you won an NWSL team in South Florida and you happen to have the money to back my idea, you can contact me on Twitter at Lee underscore Evans, I-F-A-N-S, or find me running the Instagram account for Magic City Soccer. That's Magic City Soccer on Instagram. He's very good at it. Like it's exceptionally good at a social media platform that I don't understand very well. Lee yeah, my wife it. taught me everything I know. That's she's really the the master. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're quite a first mate on it. Um, yes. Yeah, and I got five on the NWSL team, by the way. Uh, not yeah, thousands. Yeah. I got five. Five. Yeah, I got. Five. I got a five. I, 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 that'd be awesome. I, I want NWSL here. I would take it. That might be my next season ticket purchase, yeah. Yes, for sure. Well, Matt, tell the people where to find you. Uh, you can find me uh, confusingly using Instagram at Matthew S. Bunch uh, or on Twitter at Matthew S. Bunch. Uh, and, yeah, jumping in on the Twitter on Magic City Soccer and on Facebook, too. If you want to speculate what the S stands for and, you know, tweet us, what does the S Pla- Matthew's name stand for? Place your bets now. <laughs> I've been Omar Mubayad. You can find me on Twitter at Mubayad11. You can find us on Twitter at Magic City Soccer on Facebook slash Magic City Soccer or as we mentioned on Instagram, Magic City Soccer. Website is still up and running. Yeah, it's a little sparse lately, but it's there. It's there. We're We're getting back back in the swing of things. We're coming back just like uh, the rest of the country. Where are we opening? (laughs) (laughs) God help us us all, magiccity.soccer. Uh, as I mentioned previously, from our family to yours, we wish you guys nothing but the best of health. Enjoy this episode, or we hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for the future episodes to come. Wash your hands. Stay safe. Don't touch your face. No, put your face, put your hands down. Don't touch that face. And we'll catch you guys on the flip side.